You're listening to a Discord stage talk titled Investigating Mainstream Outlets Selling Satanist Neo-Nazi Material. The talk featured Bellingcat researcher and trainer Tristan Lee. Tristan spoke to us about his recent investigation looking into the darker side of publishing, exposing the ability to easily buy far-right material from mainstream booksellers and publishers. The talk was hosted by Giancarlo Fiorella on Thursday the 13th of July in the Bellingcat Discord server. We're very lucky to be joined today by Bellingcat researcher Tristan Lee. Tristan is a member of the tech team at Bellingcat, which is a group of researchers who create open source tools for researchers to use in their own work. Aside from that, Tristan also conducts research on the far right. And Tristan is here to talk to us today about an article that he co-authored with Fuka Posba titled The Mainstream Publishers, Distributors, and Bookshops Selling Satanist Neo-Nazi Books. Tristan, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, thanks for that introduction. Yeah, so uh, as Giancarlo said, so uh, I'm here to talk to you about my article, uh, give you a bit of context, um, and uh, talk about a few juicy details that we left out. Um, uh, I'll talk a bit about, um, yes, yeah, so first I'll introduce you to the Order of Nine Angles, uh, which I will uh, hereby refer to as the O9A. Um, I'll talk about its history, um, its, its ideology. Then I'll talk about how the O9A became uh, intertwined and uh, influential within the broader uh, modern neo-Nazi movement. And uh, finally, I'll talk about my investigation and how I approached it and some potential takeaways for uh, researchers. So uh, let's start off with the history. So what is the Order of Nine Angles? Uh, it is often described as a network, a sect, or a cult. Um, its adherents often describe it as a subculture. Um, it tends to be described using words like uh, neo-Nazi, satanic, left-hand path, and occult. Um, I'll get into a bit about uh, their, their specific ideology later on. Uh, but uh, so the ONA claims to be founded in the, 19, in the 1960s as part of a British occult tradition going back millennia, um, if you believe them. Uh, I don't, uh, but uh, their first outputs uh, came out around the 1970s. And one thing I will say before uh, I really get into it is that there are a lot of rabbit holes about its history. Um, there's a lot of backstory, a lot of deep, deep lore. Um, I'll try to only uh, go down the particularly interesting rabbit holes, but there is a there's a lot here, and uh, if anyone has questions about any specific aspects, uh, definitely let me know. Uh, so it was uh, allegedly founded by a guy named uh, David Myatt. Um, in the so this guy David Myatt, um, uh, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, he was uh, part of and pretty influential in a bunch of British neo-Nazi groups. Uh, like the, if you know them, uh, the British Movement, uh, Column 88, Combat 18, and the National Socialist Movement, uh, the British one, not the U.S. one. And Myatt uh, gains uh, David Myatt gained some notoriety because he wrote a book called The Practical Guide to Aryan Revolution, which is about what you expect it would be. Uh, and uh, that book was owned by a British neo-Nazi terrorist named David Copeland. Um, who is known as the London Nail Bomber, who uh, 
uh, because he set off a homemade nail bomb in London that uh, injured 140 and killed three people. And his goal was to provoke a race war, um, you know, uh, kind of classic Nazi terrorist stuff. Um, and uh, so that's where again, so where David might gain some notoriety for being an author of this book that the, this Nazi terrorist had in his possession. Um, David might uh, converted to Islam in 1998. Um, he wrote some uh, works in support of the Taliban and um, praising suicide attacks. And uh, more recently, he has renounced all extremism. Uh, uh, but uh, I'm not sure. He's an entirely reliable source uh, for that. Um, and there are, I think a better explanation is that he's afraid of uh, the UK government uh, prescribing the Order of Nine Angles and him spending his last remaining years in a prison. So I think he's really trying to distance himself from all of this uh, uh, hullabaloo that I'll get into now. So just for some context, uh, Myatt, David Myatt had never actually admitted to founding the O9A, but there are enough coincidences that um, the probative value, as you would say, of the evidence uh, I think is pretty convincing. Uh, Nick Lowell's from Hope Not Hate has done a lot of work um, on this. Uh, you can check out his. You should check out his work. Uh, there's a good interview with Nick Lowell's and David Myatt in the '90s or something like that, um, where he just like uh, where David Myatt kind of gets annihilated by uh, all these. Uh, all these uh, facts that uh, Lowell's knows. Um, so yeah, so a few things. Uh, O9A used uh, the same PO box as uh, David Myatt used. Uh, the same pseudonymous author, uh, Rachel Sterling, who is almost certainly an alias of David Myatt, uh, both wrote O9A books and edited a collection of essays written by Myatt. Uh, and they both share a very distinctive writing style. Uh, it's very verbose and obnoxious. Um, David and uh, I mean, just to be honest, David might might actually be in this uh, Discord stage talk right now. He might be on our server. Uh, he uh, replied to someone who posted our article on Twitter. Um, so yeah, if you're listening, David, hi. Um, I'm sorry I called you obnoxious and verbose, but I can't like to see it. So let's see. Um, so there is a lot of O9A liter uh, literature out there, like probably tens of thousands of pages. Uh, it's it's a lot. Um, much of which has much of which has been written by Myatt in his di distinctive style. Um, so just to talk a bit about the ideology, some of the biggest influences of Oranis ideology are things like uh, Wiccan and pagan occult uh, practices and rituals. Um, on the kind of philosophical aspect, there's uh, Oswald Spangler and Francis uh, Parker Yockey's conception of uh, civilizational life cycles. Um, these are kind of the the popular and influential guys with the intellectual wing of the of the Nazis. Um, some other big influences are esoteric Hitlerism. Um, if you haven't heard of this, it's essentially the idea that Adolf Hitler is the avatar of the Hindu god Vishnu. Uh, it's a whole thing. Uh, if you're curious about it, um, there's a good esoteric Hitlerism thread on the far right monitoring channel. Um, check it out. There's a that's a, that's certainly its own rabbit hole, um, but it's uh, surprisingly influential. And one of the kind of common themes across the O9A literature is the subversion of societal norms, um, often uh, usually because they are these societal norms are Judeo are Judeo Christian, um, which uh, are often referred to as uh, 
Magian and Nazarene uh, by the 09A. So if you if you're reading an 09A book and it says Magian, it just means Jewish. Uh, that's that's how they uh, get out of the most overt uh, lazy sense of censorship. And the point is basically to do evil things, which will bring you closer to the dark gods and bring you uh, to the next stage of human evolution. Um, so things like murder, which they refer to as culling, is widely promoted, um, as is rape and also pedophilia to a lesser extent, which I'll uh, get to later. And I really want to emphasize again, these guys are Nazis. Uh, they regularly promote Holocaust denial. They praise Adolf Hitler in Germany. Uh, they employ and repurpose Nazi symbols like the swastika. And they even use an alternative calendar that started in 1889, the year Hitler was born. Um, they call this uh, calendar uh, the year of Thayen, uh, which is often abbreviated as YF. So uh, 2023 is actually 134 YF. So you'll see on on any books and publications, it usually says like, you know, 125 YF or something like that. That just means a year of the Fane or a year of the Fuhrer. Um, another thing to emphasize is that the content of these books is often very elaborate and complicated. Um, there are so many different rituals and ranks, different symbols and sigils, chants, all kinds of stuff. Um, in the same way that geeks, um, like I think myself and a lot of people, probably some of you here, um, in, in the same way, uh, geeks can get into the lore of Star Wars or like Warhammer 40k. Um, this kind of stuff appeals to a certain uh, strain of geek that can get lost in the lore of Onane. Um, in terms of their organizational structure, its adherents like to emphasize how decentralized it is. There's a lot of independent branches in different countries, uh, but its core has a fairly well-defined hierarchy, actually. Uh, there's an outer representative, which is a kind of leadership role and also an old guard that kind of advises the outer representative. Um, it consists of you know, David Myatt and some of his friends. And there are kind of different levels that Onane adherents uh, can reach, often based on physical or magical achievements. So things like, uh, I don't remember the exact, uh, it's like running, like running 30 miles in a day or like biking 100 miles in a day. Um, and like... Uh, living alone in the woods for three months, like things like that to kind of bring yourself more, uh, kind of bring out the, 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 the internal knowledge of yourself and um, bring you closer to uh, communion with the dark gods. So uh, as I said, there's different kind of uh, somewhat decentralized branches of Onane and uh, one of the, uh, more prominent and influential of these um, and infamous is an American branch of the Onane called the Temple of Blood. Uh, uh, Tempel spelled T-E-M-P-E-L of spelled O-V and blood spelled uh, just like regular blood. For some reason, they didn't spell that in a weird way. Um, yeah, so the Temple of Blood uh, has uh, often publishes works that are even more uh, kind of edgy than the traditional Onane. Um, tend to be more overt pedophilia um, and just generally more poorly written, kind of like, uh, you know, if the Onine, if kind of the, the traditional Onine stuff written by David Might has tries to have some kind of like classy British veneer, the American version is just, you know, like really a lowest common denominator, like shock, gore porn type stuff. So uh, the Temple of Blood was founded in the early 2000s, uh, allegedly by a guy named Joshua Caleb Sutter, um, who was a longtime member of the neo-Nazi group Aryan Nations. 
uh, Sutter and his wife, Jillian Hoy, uh, started a publishing company called Martinet Press, which has published like 20 to 30 books that promote the Temple of Blood's ideology. Uh, Jillian Hoy is an important character in her own right. She's listed as um, the administrative contact for Martinet Press um, uh, on a database of publishing companies. Uh, she ran the Martinet Press Facebook page and wrote at least one Martinet Press book. Um, so she's been intimately involved since the beginning. She's like not just Shutter's wife. She is like a core, uh, a core influence here. Um, for more about Jillian Hoy and her alleged involvement in uh, uh, this uh, insane story, so uh, her alleged involvement in a honeypot murder attempt as part of a power struggle over a small North Korean propaganda group, um, read the absolutely insane Nate Thayer article, White Power and Apocalyptic, uh, White Power and Apocalyptic Cults. Highly recommended. Um, it was like one of the first, I think that was like the first real deep dive into Sutter and Hoy and this whole, uh, this whole milieu. Um, so what does the Temple of Blood actually believe? Um, if anyone here has seen the TV show, What We Do in the Shadows, um, uh, there's a new season out now, uh, uh, Bell and Cat, uh, I'm not sure Bell and Cat endorses what we do in the shadows, but I do. It's great. Um, and also, uh, it uh, has a lot of overlap with the uh, with Temple of Blood. So, um, but basically, the, te the Temple of Blood are psychic vampires. Uh, they're they're vampires. So that's why the blood in the Temple of Blood is so important. They you know drain they drain the life force of their victims uh, into what's into a blood pool and use that to uh, sustain themselves and further their uh, kind of dark dark turn into these like Noctulian demonic entities untethered from the bounds of humanity. Um, lots of cool stuff there. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, and like I said, the writing of Temple of Blood books tends to be like simpler and more straightforward than that of the traditional Onane and just generally more poorly written um, and tends to be a lot more into pedophilia. So you might be thinking, Tristan, why are you talking in so much detail about these ridiculous edgelords? Um, and it's true. Onine's, Onine's ideology is very edgelordy and very LARPy. Um, and I don't think anyone would really be talking about them if not for the fact that their work regularly radicalizes adherents to do very serious crimes, like sexually assaulting minors and murder. Uh, so just a few examples of this. Uh, so Ryan Fleming, um, a member of prescribed uh, British neo-Nazi terrorist group National Action, wrote two O9A affiliated books and has been jailed twice for crimes involving sexual abuse of minors. A man named William von uh, Neutigen uh, stabbed a man to death outside a Canadian mosque in 2020. Um, his YouTube page has several O9A affiliated chants, uh, including one that sometimes gets stuck in my head. Uh, and uh, uh, William von Neutigen uh, was recently uh, ruled not uh, guilty by, I think, the Canadian version of the uh, insanity plea uh, because of schizophrenia, I guess. And uh, a man named Daniel Hussein killed two sisters in 2020 in London. He was a regular poster on a forum run by an ONA adherent, which um, appears to have influenced him to uh, do these crimes, to, you know, do evil satanic stuff, like murder. Um... Yeah, so the other reason that the O9A uh, is prominent is because one of their branches, uh, Temple of Blood, essentially took over the most influential neo-Nazi terrorist network in America, Adamoff Division. You may have heard of them. Uh, 
So uh, a really brief abbreviated history of Adam Walker Division is that they started around 2015 um, as kind of a straightforward militant neo-Nazi group influenced by James Mason's accelerationism, which is like the desire to initiate a societal collapse to help kick off a race war. Um, after one of their members murdered two other members, uh, their founder, Brandon Russell, got arrested on explosives charges in May 2017. And after this debacle, uh, two Adam Waffen members uh, 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 came into leadership roles. Uh, John Cameron Denton, a.k.a. Rape. Yes, his alias is Rape. Um, and Caleb Cole, alias Khmer or Kim. Both Denton and Cole were longtime adherents of Orane, specifically the Temple of Blood. Um, and they began to take Adam Waffen in a very explicitly Orane direction, things like putting Martinet press books on the required reading list, and encouraging members to do sinister things, often encouraging, often involving sexual abuse of minors. Uh, in early 2020, the FBI arrested most of their senior members, uh, but many of them are out of prison now, including uh, uh, Denton. And in, in the prosecution of Caleb Cole, it came out that Joshua Sutter, uh, again, remember, the founder of Temple of Blood and an Adam Moffin member, had in fact been an FBI informant since a 2003 arrest, and he received more than $140,000 from the FBI while running Marknet Press. Um, a lot of people on the far right and in ONINA have kind of used this as a way of essentially saying, hey, all this like accelerationist neo-Nazi stuff was actually like a total fed bot. And while yes, the FBI is complicit in this, and I think they arguably have blood on their hands because Marknet Press books uh, did uh, influence a lot, uh, several like murders. That's really not the whole story because uh, all the Adam, so Adam Moffin division members uh, have five mur murders tied to them, all of which happened before the ONINA was even involved. Um, I haven't seen any credible evidence that any of the Adam Moffin murderers had any involvement with ONINA. Um, and uh, yeah, kind of. Uh, David Myatt uh, likes to use this as its as an excuse to say, "Oh no, the ONA isn't into pedophilia or uh, um, or any of this violent stuff. It's just the uh, it's just black propaganda from the FBI." But that's also the and, and he also tried they also tried to downplay the kind of influence of Temple of Blood on the ONA as a whole. Um, but that's fairly patently false because uh, ONA uh, the kind of primary ONINA kind of magazine publication, Fenrir, uh, published uh, whole excerpts of Martinet Press books that explicitly glorify pedophilia. And also David Myatt wrote a pro-pedophilia article at one point. So uh, yeah, not, not very convincing arguments. Uh, let's see. Yeah, so even, so, uh, even several years on, um, the ONINA still strongly influences the modern neo-Nazi movement. Um, not just its aesthetics, but in but particularly its esoteric and occult turn. It's really fused with the ideology developed on Iron March to create a particularly virulent strain that appears to have a lot of appeal with younger people. You know, this isn't your dad's National Socialism. It's not George Lincoln Rockwell's National Socialism. This stuff is like edgy and exciting and subversive. Um, I personally really don't understand the appeal, but I think it. It, 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 it clearly does have at least some appeal. So uh, now I'll talk a bit about my own investigation. Uh, so if you haven't read it yet, my recent investigation uh, focused on the various mainstream companies that were facilitating the spread of O9A affiliated books. Um, it examined the supply chain, so 
bookstores, distributors, and publishers of these books, uh, particularly those from Marknet Press, the publishing company of Temple of Blood. So we found that these books were available on many of the largest bookstores and online retailers around the world, like Amazon in the U.S., Bowl in the Netherlands, and Indigo in Canada. Uh, one Dallas location of Barnes & Noble even had a physical copy of one of the worst books. Um, this book was on the Adam Waffen Division reading list, um, and it very explicitly glorifies the sexual exploitation of children and multiple passages through it. Um, uh, and yeah, like the, there's just a physical copy like in stock um, at a Dallas area location that um, uh, I had one of my friends uh, go and verify that it was in fact in stock, it was just in the horror section, which was kind of insane. Um, and these books are being bought. They're not just like listed on the stores. Uh, one Wayback Machine snapshot from 2016 showed that uh, one particular Marknet Press book um, written by Ryan, allegedly written by that uh, neo-Nazi uh, pedophile, Ryan Fleming, um, was the 30th most popular book in the Satanism and Demonology category on Amazon and about the 57,000th most popular book overall, which, you know, I mean, it's not Harry Potter, but like that's that's a pretty high ranking given how many like millions, tens of millions of books are on Amazon. Um, in some of the in some of these cases, it was clear that the stock of these bookstores came from the catalogs of prominent distributor companies like Ingram Content Group and Amazon Kindle uh, Direct Publishing. So uh, the way I started this investigation was uh, that during a, a voice chat um, group and another Discord server, we were discussing the worst flags, um, and I thought hey, I wonder if I can buy an O9A flag on Amazon. Uh, I didn't actually find any O9A flags on Amazon, but I did see um, some like patches and necklaces and a bunch of books. So then I started looking kind of more systematically at other prominent bookstores and online retailers, really mostly just using Google to find the most popular companies in a given country and then searching for sites with particular keywords like O9A, Order of Nine Angles, Nine Angles, uh, nine Angels, because they often like have different tweaks and misspellings to get out of censorship, um, Market Press, Temple of Blood, as well as specific book titles. Um, my colleague Fuka Postuma had the idea of looking into the supply chain of these books and guessed that Ingram was printing a lot of them. And I verified this um, by, because I figured out that I could use a mobile app developed by uh, Ingram to verify that Ingram was, in fact, printing a lot of books. Um, and had a lot of them in stock, uh, both from kind of traditional O9A, like written by David Maya under an alias, and also from Hartnet Press. Um, I also uh, saw that some bookstores listed uh, some Hartnet Press books as being published by something like Amazon Dig uh, KDP, um, or another company owned by Amazon, CreateSpace, independent publishing. So yeah, um, I also want to address one of the kind of more common criticisms of the article that I've seen on Twitter and LinkedIn, something like, Family Cat wants to ban books. What happened to free speech? Um, so what I think is a weak refutation of this criticism is something like, Family Cat is based in the Netherlands and isn't subject to the U.S. Constitution, and that since these are private companies and not the government restricting these books, it's not actually a free speech issue. Um, but I don't think that's, I, I don't think that's very convincing, um, largely because we, we're living in a time, at least, I am in the United States uh, when there is a very concerted effort, mostly from uh, mainstream conservative politicians, to use the power of the state um, often uh, to influence companies uh, to restrict what books are available, especially books that mention LGBTQ plus people or ideas, books that accurately describe structural racism in the U.S., and books that 
are set um, in the Holocaust, uh, like the popular graphic novel Mouse, um, for its objectionable language. So I think we should really take seriously these concerns about restricting the access of books. Um, so, I, so why do I think it's okay that Bellingcat is advocating for restricting the reach of these Bonani books? Uh, for one, we're not, I don't know, we're not really advocating anything. We're pointing out that the content of many Martinet press books very clearly violates the stated content guidelines of these companies. Uh, pretty much every one of these companies has a policy that um, prohibits the sale, printing, or distribution of books that glorify or graphically describe the sexual exploitation of children. I'm not going to read any excerpts from Martinet press books because that could probably get the server banned, but please trust me when I say that many of them contain content that very explicitly violates that policy against the sexual exploitation of children. Um, I've read it. You can like control F. If you really want to, you can download some of these books, control F child. I would really, really not recommend it both because the content is disturbing and the writing is just crap. Um, it's really bad. Um, it's not, not like, like some Nazi books are like fairly well written or at least like, um, I don't know, uh, interesting, but these are just gore porn. Like there's no, there really is zero value in these. Um, and also uh, another thing is that I can only assume that some portion of the proceeds of these books are going to people like Joshua Sutter and Ryan Fleming. Uh, Sutter's already gotten plenty of money from the FBI. I don't think he really needs a lot more. And I personally think that it's good when militant Nazi pedophiles get less money. And just kind of like on a more broad level, I don't think I've ever met anyone who is like 100% actually in favor of free speech. People claim to be, but there's always some line that some that people have. Like even the most like ardent free speech advocate is going to have some line that they that they say, all right, that's too far. You know, whether that's you know books that call for genocide or you know like publishing you know his daughter's uh, address or something like that. There's always a line to free speech, and I think that just Generally, society is much worse when these, like, not these very, like, I guess, powerful in terms of radicalization books are available for uh, people to buy. And I mean, there really is a body count associated with these guys. It's not just a lark. Um, and one thing, uh, yeah, so that's that. Um, and one thing you'll notice if you read the article is that we didn't name any on any book titles or authors, and we blurred out images that contain identifying information about book titles or authors. And we also didn't link to any active sale pages. And you might think that this goes against, and, and this really does go against one of Bellingcat's main principles, transparency. In general, uh, we in Bellingcat, we don't want you to take Bellingcat's word for any of our claims. We want you to you want to lay out the methodology so that you can easily verify it yourself. But in this article, perhaps more so than any previous Bellingcat article, honestly, there's a real risk of amplification. What Onane and Temple of Blood adherents absolutely love is articles that go into detail describing how evil they are and how disturbing their books are. They, they love that. That plays into like how sinister and evil they are. Um, and Onane adherents take pride in being terrible people. Like, for example, being pedophiles. And I think that in many cases, journalists play into their hands. Um, like when outlets published a picture of one Onane adherent in front of a swastika, in front of a swastika flag, wearing a TV shirt that says Kitty Fiddler, and a computer screen that reads, I am addicted to hardcore child pornography. That's bait. That's bait. They want you to, like, these adherents want, uh, want journalists to publish that. So people, so normal people like you and me and all of you can think, oh my God, these are terrible people. Um, that's what they love. 
Um, and especially for this article, since it's very focused on books and other merch, it would be really easy to accidentally make a 2,500 word advert for Marknet Press. Where you say, hey, this book is being sold by this company. This book is being sold by this company. I mean, that, that would not be good. Um, we, we tried to follow uh, the recommendations of this really good data in society report called the oxygen of amplification. Um, it has good recommendations for dealing with these kinds of trade-offs. I'd, I'd highly recommend it, especially for any journalists uh, and writers here. And, and yeah, I mean, like a, a concern that I took really seriously is that somebody reads this article, finds out about the ONRNA for the first time, and then falls down the rabbit hole. Like it's, this ideology seems ridiculous, but it has proven time and time again to be surprisingly virulent and uh, powerful. So some takeaways for researchers from this article. Uh, so this was really my first uh, investigation that I published with Bell and Cat. So just to, just to get this out of the way, I'm definitely not an expert on the ONINA. Um, I'm, I, I suspect that there may be people in, in this uh, chat who are in fact experts. So if I got anything wrong, Please uh, stand off in the comments, as they say. Um, but yeah, so I mean, uh, so so I'm not an expert uh, on this, but I was somewhat familiar with their books and I knew some of the terms they use, and that was enough to really get started with Googling. Um, and one one thing I guess I kind of I, I I didn't think about is it's like you don't need to be an expert to contribute to a field, but you do need to be aware of the limits of your own knowledge, and it really helps to be in contact to be able to talk to actual experts who have been doing this, who've been studying these groups or whatever for, you know, years, um, and they can kind of help you contextualize your findings. And related to that, it can be hard to know if what you're researching is actually significant or novel, um, or if you're just treading in previous researchers' footsteps. A few experts uh, I talked to seemed genuinely shocked that Ingram was printing Marknet Press books, and especially that I found a physical copy of that one book in a Barnes & Noble store, so that made me think, all right, I'm probably on the right track. This this is something that's kind of new and hasn't really been studied. Um, and another thing is that you really don't always need a bunch of fancy OSINT tools. Often being clever with Googling is all it takes. Um, I wrote, a few, I did write a few scripts to make some parts easier, but that was mostly kind of peripheral to the investigation. Uh, the most kind of high-tech thing I did um, that I was kind of fun, honestly, I reverse engineered the API from the Ingram mobile app uh, using a man-in-the-middle proxy um, and an Android emulator. That was fun. Um, but uh, definitely not necessary to do. Um, also, uh, uh, Barnes & Noble's find product in store browser tool, uh, browser tool is limited to a 100 mile radius. Um, so I wrote a quick script that expanded that to a thousand miles, which allowed me to actually find the location um, that had this uh, really bad book in stock. And just kind of taking a step back, uh, one thing I, I really love about this field of open source research is that there are always new open sources to find and use, like that Ingram stock check, check app. I don't think that's ever been used in an OSINT investigation before. Um, also, Camel, 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 uh, that has historical Amazon product data that we used to um, uh, kind of verify the earliest uh, date uh, uh, market press book was sold on Amazon. Um, I think that that really is the best um, and most exciting part of this field. Uh, there is really so much data out there that the only real limit is the ingenuity of researchers in terms of uh, finding new sources. Um, so yeah, some recommendations if you want to learn more about the ONRNA. Uh, the Empire Never Ended podcast, uh, their whole first season focused on David Myatt, Temple of Blood, Adam Hoffman, all that. Uh, I think they have a really good balance of deep dive investigations uh, with humor that pokes at the ridiculousness of these people, 
and I, th- I think that really is the best um, the best way to combat this because you know uh, the thing that fascists really can't stand is being laughed at, um, and humor really is often the best <laughs> the best remedy for that. Um, another good organization is Hope Not Hate. They are a British advocacy group that focuses on the far right. Uh, their founder, Nick Lowell's, has been researching light and the ONNA for literally decades. Um, and uh, one of their researchers, Patrick Hermanson, was kind enough to uh, um, be interviewed for uh, uh, the article and gave me some good quotes for that. Uh, also, a, journal, a few journalists, uh, journal, uh, Ali, uh, Ali Winston, he's been talking, uh, writing about Adam Waffen Division and ONNA for years now, um, including a really comprehensive Rolling Stone piece about uh, an ONNA affiliated US paratrooper who planned to work with Al Qaeda to ambush his platoon. Another good journalist is Jake Hanrahan. He was one of the first journalists to um, investigate Adam Waffen and has done, uh, done more investigations on ONNA. Uh, Daniel DeSimone, uh, who's written several articles on the group, and Nate Thayer, uh, rest in peace, he died somewhat recently. Um, uh, he was monitoring Joshua Caleb Sutter from the very beginning and wrote really the definitive article about Sutter's early history. Uh, I think it's a uh, white power, what's it? Yeah, uh, white power and apocalyptic cults, uh, pro DPRK homegrown U.S. terrorist groups um, are Pyongyang's chosen favorites. Uh, Highly recommend that. It's a absolutely insane read. Um, so yeah, I think that's about all I wanted to talk about. Uh, are there any questions? Yes, there are. Tristan, thank you so much for um, that fascinating talk. That's Tristan Lee again, Bellingcat researcher who has just published a, an article here with Fuka Postma titled "The Mainstream Publishers, Distributors, and Bookshops Selling Satanist Neo-Nazi Books." Thanks for that, Tristan. We have a bunch of questions here from the audience and also myself and the moderating team. A lot of people are you know, fascinated by this, confused, of course. You got to remember, Tristan, most of us have never heard of, <laughs> of this. And so you're, you know, we're talking about dark gods and magic and uh, you know, esoteric Hitlerism. It's like a whole, as you say, kind of universe uh, that's really new. Um, to, to a lot of us. So um, yeah, again, I encourage everybody to ask questions in the chat. I am going to be writing them down and asking them to Tristan. Tristan, I, I got one here. Uh, this is from me, so I'm cheating. I'm the host and also the, the first question is from me. Um, because I, I want to ask it because it, it sort of came out at the end a little bit when we were talking about, you said, um, you know, humor is, is a way to kind of deal with these groups a little bit. They don't like humor or a sense of humor. So it seems to me as I was listening to your talk, you know, this is a a part of this is really bizarre, completely absurd. So there's people talking about dark gods and leveling up their magic, um, you know, really kind of silly, like, you know, you can't be serious kind of stuff. Right. But on the other hand, another part of this seems really serious and dangerous, like the Holocaust denial, the Hitler worship. Right. So how do you balance those two extremes? as a researcher, as you're reading about about a group like this? Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that, that, I think that is really one of the kind of hardest things to, in, in terms, especially dealing with the ONNA. Like one, one kind of way that I think about this is that the ONNA is like really one of the most elaborate ship posts in history. It's like, it spans several decades, like, and uh, has been, you know, has like tens of thousands of pages of uh, content. So on one hand, it's, I mean, I mean, a phrase that I've, I don't remember where I heard it, but like, 
everyone's a LARPer until they're not. Like, you know, like Daniel Hussein was a safest LARPer until he murdered two people. Like, you know, um, uh, Ryan Fleming was a Nazi LARPer um, until he, like, you know, started doing pedophilia IRL. So um, it's, 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 and, and that's one thing that's really hard. It's, it's really hard to know whether someone is, you know, actually serious about this, like actually like, you know, serious, like potential murderer or, or just some random guy who's talking shit. Um, uh, excuse me. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard. And I think part of it is kind of like separating those two kind of branches, like it, like, and kind of recognizing kind of the path between them, because yes, they are edgelord larvers, but this edgelord LARP can be very, can have very serious consequences. Thanks for that, Tristan. But yeah, no, it, it is very disconcerting because yeah, like it's it's like it, it can be hard to know exactly how serious to take any one particular thing. But I think the the body of work itself um, uh, tends to be fairly dangerous. Thanks for that. Yeah, that this is something that I I know Michael Colburn talks about as well, and and I've had conversations with with people about this that it's it's a sort of a weird line to walk. Uh, but as you're saying, uh, you know, dangerous ultimately. So thanks for that, Tristan. We have a, a bunch of questions coming in here from the chat so if you're listening to this live on the bellinka discord server please go ahead and type your question in the chat we've got one here from howen hello howen howen is a friend from the popular front discord uh recently joined our own so thanks howen uh this is the question for you tristan and the question is this is it known if ethan melzer who is a uh, member of the order of the nine angles uh was a u.s army private he was convicted for attempting to orchestrate an ambush against his military unit. Is there anything, any research on him that you're aware of, uh, Tristan? Is he still in contact with this group even while in prison? Um, I have not seen any updates on that. Um, I suspect that, um, well, let's see. Uh, I suspect it's going to be very hard for him to communicate with them in prison. He was recently sentenced, I think, 45 years. Um, yeah, I, I haven't I haven't seen anything. Um, Ollie Winston would probably know more. Um, and I want to plug again um, Ollie Winston's uh, very comprehensive Rolling Stone article about Ethan Melzer. I think uh, I think one of you uh, one of you can can uh, find the link and put it in the in the in the stage shop. But yeah, what's up, Alan? But yeah, I don't know more. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, let's uh, drop that link in the chat there, folks, if you find it. Um, sort of a related question, I guess. A uh, part of it is related. This is one's from Jimmy. Hi, Jimmy. Jimmy says. Do you know if there are uh, if there is any O nine eight presence in prisons? Um, you know how there's like gangs in prison. Is there is there a presence of is there anything written on this group's activities in prison, if any? That's a good question. I have not heard of anything. Um, but I mean, given I mean, let's see. I don't want to speculate. Um, I think one thing I will say is that I think these guys would face a very uh, hard time in prison, given I think the uh, well-documented aversion that, uh, in many cases, violent aversion that many prisoners have towards pedophiles. I think that any kind of over the uh, ONA group would uh, have a very bad time. Um, that being said, I don't know anything about this topic, but there have been several ONA people who have gone to prison. You know. Caleb Cole, uh, Denton, uh, Daniel Hussein, I guess not. Uh, I don't know. Uh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I don't know. 
Thanks. Yeah, it, it does seem like the kind of thing you'd want to downplay in prison, I guess, uh, if you're a member of, of one of these groups or of this group in particular. Um, we got another one here from, so this is from uh, Charlie, our social media producer. Hello. She's asking, have you seen any response from this group, 098, to your article, to your research? And a follow-up question is, what impact do you hope that this investigation might have? Yeah, yeah. Th uh, thanks for that, Charlie. So, yeah, um, actually, so David Myatt um, has has a bunch of sock puppet accounts, um, including one fairly well documented one on Twitter, and uh, he, I believe he uh, he replied to someone posting the article. Uh, I believe uh, I don't remember uh, off the top of my head, but it's something along the lines of a deep state censorship um, plot. So, yeah, uh, it appears that David Myatt um, is aware of this. So, but yeah, no, in general, ONA. Um, is very uh, is very responsive to criticism from journalists. Uh, they have uh, on one prominent ONA website they have an entire uh, tag for uh, one for uh, one of the journalists I mentioned, Jake Hanrahan. Um, so you can go go you can click on the Jake Hanrahan tab tag and see um, all the ONA articles that mention him. Or uh, so yeah. Um, and in terms of impact, uh, what I would like to see is more. What I would like to see is fewer of these books being available, uh, uh, especially on prominent uh, mainstream websites and uh, bookstores. Uh, we have seen that already. Uh, like Bull took uh, Bull in the Netherlands took it down. Um, Amazon took down one of their books that had a so one uh, one Marquez Press book that had a Sonnen rat on it, and they say they're reviewing the others. Um, Ingram, I believe, still had last I checked, still has all their books up. So yeah, I, I would like to see these books be uh, a little harder to find and uh, people like Sutter and Fleming getting a bit less money. And I, I one, th one thing I, I also want to mention is that um, at least I don't have any hard, I guess, data to back this up, but in my experience, these books have gotten a lot easier to, to, to access in the last few years. I remember in like summer, like spring of 2020, I was trying to find a copy of one of the of that one particularly really bad book um, for, uh, that I found on Barnes and Noble, and I it took me like an hour to find a sketchy PDF like scanned PDF on Terragram. Um, I certainly could not find it on any mainstream uh, bookstores. So, so yeah, like I think that generally these like Nazi pedophile books being very widely available is not a good thing. Sorry, that might be a hot take. Um, but, yeah. But yeah. yeah, you're going to catch a lot of flack for that one, Tristan, for sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thanks thanks for that answer there. Um, okay, we've got one here from, um, this is from NerdGuy07. And then an emoji of, uh, is that ramen or like a chicken noodle soup? Uh, I don't know. But NerdGuy07 emoji says or asks. Um, it's a bowl, they say. Uh, yeah, <laughs> sorry. Do you do you have any sources or do you know anything about these rituals that these groups are committing? So, um, you know, are we talking about murders? Like, are they trying to sacrifice people? Cannibalism? Uh, anything about the the rituals that they engage in? Yeah. So let's see. I mean, there's obviously like primary like the the primary source here is RNA books. Um, I'm not going to recommend any here, but. Uh, if you really want, you can find some traditional, some kind of old school traditional ONA books. You can read about their rituals. Um, 
they do uh, talk a lot about uh, murder. Uh, they refer to it as culling, uh, and they say that that's, you know, I don't remember the exact word, but something like uh, culling is an essential part of uh, Onarne. And uh, even though, you know, most of that is a LARP, you know, a few, a small number of people take it seriously and then start, and then start murdering people. Um, but yeah, it's it's often like very, it's often like, they often involve, I guess, prolonged fasting and isolation, um, doing various chants like, um, uh, some of the audiobooks uh, actually have like a, um, the chance uh, it's pretty cool uh, and by cool I mean not cool at all <laughs> and uh, yeah like burning candles like uh, drawing out uh, in, uh, particular sigils um, sometimes doing uh, when you get into kind of more Temple of Blood stuff it does often involve blood you know kind of a classic a classic thing or I guess even a meme is uh, people you know showing like covering their uh, covering like a like some market press books with blood and like uploading a picture of it or like including a knife on it like all about that uh, kind of uh, really taking the blood part of the temple very seriously thanks but, yeah, I'm not aware of any kind of I'm not aware of any uh, non I'm not aware of any non onine sources for these rituals um, yeah thanks um we have another question and folks we got about 15 minutes here with uh tristan lee bellingcat researcher who's written on the order of the nine angles if you have a question for tristan please put it in the chat we have about 15 minutes left we got a question here from um now for this i don't know the name of this person because my discord is kind of bugged and for usernames for a lot of people i just see like the first letter of the username and then dot 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 so this person is S dot, 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 and their profile picture is Willem Dafoe. So S, uh, whoever you are, if you got a Willem Dafoe profile picture, thank you for the question. Um, this is, I suppose, there we go. That's me. Yes, hi. I don't know what your username is. I'm sorry. My Discord won't show me. I know it begins with S. The question is Asuka del Toro. Oh, hi. Good to see you, Asuka del Toro. Thanks for your question. The question is, uh, I suppose, more broadly about Bellingcat's uh, intentions for future research. The question is this, is there any intention for you, you Tristan or, or Bellingcat, to expand research on the far right to movements in Asia, specifically Southeast Asia? And this person is suggesting that Malaysia has a lot of far right groups. Um, that is something we are definitely interested in because I think there has very much been a focus on the far, um, uh, the Bellingcat monitoring project uh, uh, was primarily focused on the far right in a few dis uh, specific Eastern European countries. Um, but yes, I mean, obviously there is far right in uh, presence and activity um, and violence in a lot of other countries. Um, yeah, like uh, one particular we've talked about is that we want to uh, get more involved in um, researching the Indian far right. Um, and so, yeah, I'm admittedly not at all familiar with far right in Malaysia. So um, uh, that's something I'd love to le learn more about. Uh, please uh, shoot me a DM, a DM if you want to talk about that or uh, can link it to any sources. Um, but yeah, like one, one I guess, limiting factor is that um, we don't have, we don't currently have uh, 
a lot of language capacity in those regions. Like we have a lot of Russian speakers, uh, Arab, some Arabic speakers, Spanish speakers, um, but uh, not a lot of other languages. So that's um, something I think we uh, would need to either build out or, uh, or at least uh, work with local groups on the ground uh, who uh, do have that capacity. Because there's a lot of there's a lot of nuance that gets lost if you know, like I just you know translate you know malaysian through google translate like I, i'm gonna miss all the local context the subtleties the all that stuff so yeah um long story short yes we are interested <laughs> sorry thanks uh, we have a question from dars dars is uh, a moderator who's on break at the moment so really good to see you dars thanks for coming um dars has been around since really day one of the server one of the first moderators um, taking a little bit of time off, but came back for the talk. So good to see you, Dars. Dars is asking, um, what are sort of your security concerns as a researcher while investigating these topics, especially um, given where, where you live? Yeah, so um, let's see. This particular investigation, I think, didn't have a ton of security concerns because most of like everything was really on the you know very like public web on the websites of these very uh common and uh, mainstream publishing outlets um i did go to i did look at a couple at some online telegram channels to try to find examples of them posting merch um so for example one uh there's an owner eight excuse me uh, there's an owner a chat that um a member posted a picture of uh a particular necklace that um that was very similar to one sold on Amazon, but yeah um I don't know I mean the let's see what can I say here I think it if you were doing kind of more in depth like infiltration um uh things where you need like a lot of sock puppets then you should generally be quite careful um you know not using usernames not using passwords um using just a single uh like uh, like using one Telegram uh, channel for one investigation and then not reusing it. So yeah, um, it's it really depends on the kind of investigations you're doing. Yeah, you do need to be more careful careful with infiltration. If you have any questions, any specific questions, um, I think uh, there there are some channels uh, in the Bellingcat server you can post to ask questions about this and best practices. But yeah, especially when you're working with you know like violent neo Nazis. Um, you should be careful. I mean, I am lucky because I um, I have kind of the backing of Bellingcat, but anonymous researchers, especially, um, often do need to be more careful, especially um, because it's uh, there's a trade-off between uh, safety from anonymity and safety from uh, publicity. Um, I'm currently because I do work with Bellingcat. Um, I'm a somewhat public figure, so uh, my name is public. Uh, so these RNA guys uh, might be able to find out some information about me. So yeah, um, it's uh, there's a lot of dimensions to this, I guess, <laughs> is the takeaway. Thanks, Tristan. Yeah, it's a complicated answer, uh, but thanks. That's a really good one there. Um, so Mara and I had the exact same question because I had just typed it essentially in the same wording as they did um, in my document here. So this question is from the two of us. And the question is, are there any loose ends in your investigation that you want other people to look into or that you didn't get a chance to look into yourself? That's a really good question. Um, yeah, I mean, like if I would like to know, 
I think this would be hard to approach from open sources, but I would love to know more about specifically how these Marknet Press books ended up on some of these uh, distributor catalogs like Ingram and uh, Roku and uh, Kobo. Um, I would like if there's other bookstores, um, uh, retailers selling these books. Um, uh, I'd be interested in hearing more about that. Um, if you want to file your own. Uh, if you see some of these Marknet Press books or ONNA books being sold on other websites, uh, you know, uh, uh, you are welcome to, you know, report them and link to uh, our article. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like if uh, like other ONNA merch, um, I mean, there were a lot of uh, there were a lot of things we found and we chose to really only focus on uh, the the biggest uh, stores and bookstores, the, the biggest retailers and bookstores um, just for impact because we didn't want to have to include you know like 20 different rights of reply because that would have taken up like you know the whole article so yeah um if you can find uh more places on any books and merch that are being sold uh report it or uh let me know um yeah <laughs> thanks tristan we've got a question here from and again discord is uh uh not collaborating here with me it's a somebody with the name p is the first letter and then it looks like uh painting of somebody. I don't know what they're called. I'm sorry. Charlie's here to save the Peter Corliss. Okay. Hi. Thanks, uh, Charlie. And hi, Peter Corliss. Thanks for your question. The question is, are you working with or sharing the results of your report with any other uh, hate group uh, monitoring organizations like the ADL or any academic teams? Or have you been in contact with them? Have they reached out? Uh, we have not. Uh, I'm, I'm open to it. I mean, uh... I guess I mean yeah. Like what we did compile spreadsheets with a bunch. I did compile spreadsheets with you know a bunch of products on different websites. Um, I think we'd be open to sharing uh, some of the specific data that we have with other organizations. Um, but uh, we, I have not, uh, I have not done that currently. Mm -hmm. um, that's a, that's a good point. Yeah, because uh, I mean every couple of you know like months there's a new article. Hey, Amazon is telling you know all this Nazi stuff, and then Amazon takes it down. <laughs> And then uh, it kind of slowly creeps back up, and there's another. so yeah, it's a it really is a continual uh, kind of lawn, lawn mowing situation. <laughs> back yeah, it's like the Strava, games. like the Strava articles, right? Like every six months, there's like a some controversy with the Strava app. You know, uh, people giving away where they live, like military bases, is a big thing. There's a crackdown. They ban it, and then six months later, somebody else does it again. So <laughs> we can add this one to that. Um, uh, to that cycle, I suppose. Okay, we've got about five minutes here left with Tristan Lee. If you have a question for Tristan about the far right or about the order of the nine angles or about his research, um, you can go ahead and ask it. We've got about uh, four minutes left now. We have a question here from Jimmy, a bit of a personal question. Um, where do you live? No, it's uh, how long have you been researching the far right? Yeah, um, really since... I guess, like seriously, since about spring of 2019, uh, there was a, around then, there was kind of a spate of white nationalist and neo-Nazi mass shootings um, that made me very upset. So I thought, hey, how can I, you know, uh, use my programming skills to uh, kind of make it more difficult for these guys to organize and kind of expose some of their uh, tactics and structure of membership. So I kind of started doing, yeah, so I guess it's been about four years now. And time flies. <laughs> time flies when you're having fun, right? <laughs> yeah. 
And also, uh, I am uh, open to uh, uh, staying on a bit longer and uh, um, talking to people, even though I know uh, Giancarlo needs to hop oh, off and uh, stop the recording. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I, I, okay, we'll do we'll do a, one last question, and then I'll leave you to uh, hang out here with the with the group. And if you're listening to this on SoundCloud and you're going, "Oh no, the recording's going to end," and you're going to get FOMO because you you know that Tristan's going to be hanging out with the chat here for I don't know how much longer, uh, but Tristan does like to ch hang out in voice chat. Uh, then don't miss the next episode of the uh, Stage Talk series that we have here. Come join the server, and maybe you get to hang out with uh, with Tristan or, or other researchers who uh, who uh, remain in the chat, even though I have to run. Last question here for the SoundCloud episode, Tristan, is how do you stay sane when working with this kind of material? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's hard. Um... Like I think pretty much every like serious far right researcher I know has had some kind of like mental health, uh, I don't know, like episode or like a like crisis. Um, and I think it's really about finding a balance between uh, kind of this work and also just kind of being normal. Like when I first started doing this, uh, you know, I would spend you know twelve hours a day on Nazi Telegram, and uh, that's not a good thing. Uh, would uh, zero out of ten would not recommend. So just. So really just kind of basic stuff, you know, like spend time, you know, touching grass, like hanging out with your normal friends, talking about normal things, doing normal things, doing normal stuff, uh, eating normal food, like just kind of remembering that not everyone is, you know, a terrible Nazi, uh, anti-Semite, uh, pedophile statements. Like there's a bunch, there are just kind of like hanging out with good people and being reminded that there are good people out there. Um, and yeah, uh, definitely, yeah, touch grass. Thanks for that. I, I'm always reminded of, uh, I did a workshop one time and uh, I think it was in London. And one of the participants used to be like way back a uh, police officer. And he told me that he had this mantra whenever he finished his shift and he went home, he would be like in his car. He told me I'd be driving home, I'd be stuck in traffic. And I had to like really say out loud repeatedly to like remind me and like help. He would say, there is good in the world. There is good in the world. There is good in the world. Because as a police officer, all he did was see the worst of people every day, right? So he had to constantly kind of be reminding himself that like, no, you know, people are good. There's good in the world. So it sounds like some of that. Tristan, touching grass, I think. I love that advice. Um, Tristan Lee, researcher at Bellingcat, has been talking to us about the order of the nine angles. Tristan, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for listening to the Stage Talk. If you'd like to catch a Stage Talk live and ask the guest questions, join the Bellingcat Discord server by visiting www.discord.gg forward slash Bellingcat. The music you've heard is titled 1983 by Ben Elson and is courtesy of Epidemic Sound.